Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Polis, and I'm Ryan, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And we are going to go through all the new Marvel comics out this week, January 30th, 2019. And uh, we're going to tell you why we're excited about them, give you some of our favorite picks and some favorite moments throughout, and then hopefully get you hyped to pick them up yourselves, because it's a good week. And I'm going to kick things off with my first pick of the week. Age of X-Men Alpha number one. And I just want to give a, a quick little bit from the, the credits page here. It says, welcome to a perfect world. Everyone is a mutant, special, powerful, individual. No more strife, oppression, or dependence. The Age of X-Men, a dream made real, a dream that must be protected at any cost. Mm. And this is written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. Art by Ramon Rosanas. Colors by Triona Farrell. And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And uh, we are going into several weeks of brand new stories with the Age of X-Men. And this is our book that gives us the entry point into each one of those. I particularly love what Zach and Lonnie are doing with Bishop. Uh, in the beginning, of course, he's, you know, the one who's least comfortable with being comfortable. I love that aspect of his character. But then they actually quantify it a little bit. They give it some background. And he says in a caption, Bishop says, there's always energy running through me, creates a kind of anxiety that won't go away, just part of me that can't be shut off. And that ties into his powers because he absorbs energy, whether it's kinetic energy or if you blasted him with a, you know, some sort of energy, he would absorb it and he could take it back and throw it at you. When he's not throwing it back out, he's constantly absorbing it. So it's not just an interesting little plot thing. It ties into who Bishop is. I loved it so, so much. And then, you know, I'm on this Bishop train and then, whoa, there's this whole big thing with Bishop. It goes wild. By the end of the issue, we've got plots and characters and ideas going off into six Age of X-Men books. We've got Marvelous X-Men, Next Gen, The Amazing Nightcrawler, Extremists, Prisoner X and Apocalypse and the Extracts. I really do think there's going to be something for everyone coming out of that. And we're going to still give you the rundowns each week, regardless, because next week we get the Marvelous X-Men. And then for the next five weeks after that, it's a new number one with mm -hmm. Bing, Bing, Bing. It's going to be really fun. I, you guys, you Tucker and you Triple P, have were too young to really fully remember what that was like with the Age of Apocalypse. Mm. And I think a lot of our listeners wouldn't have experienced that. Every week it was fresh, new, mind-blowing, and I'm excited for everybody to get that with Age of X-Men. Before we go, i got to give huge, huge love to Ramon Rosanis and Triona Farrell because the art on this is jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Mm. We have some incredible art across yes. this week, and we start out with this one, which is amazing. Ramon's line work so meticulous, so detailed. He's building a world here that's kind of a mix of Pleasantville-style 50s clean with future mutant cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's real neat, and then the colors just explode off the page. Every panel is just gorgeous. One of my favorite things about reading every book every week and doing that week by week, then month by month, and 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 beyond, is seeing like new creators emerge and kind of become solidified at the House of Ideas. And so seeing Zach and Lonnie kind of dipping their toes in the water last year, getting into cable and that run, doing some really, really interesting things and like really showcasing that not only do they have a deep love and respect and knowledge of mutant history, but 
just the writing ability straight up to pull it off and, and, and kind of realize that in new and fresh and exciting ways. So really fun and just adds that extra dimension to reading these great books. My first book this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 14. It's written by Nick Spencer and uh-oh, look who it is. Chris Pashalo. Just the best. I mean, come on, on pencils and colors there. Inks are by Ive, Wayne Foucher, John Livesay, and Tim Townsend, and letters are by VCs Joe Caramagna. I'm glad that right up top you mentioned it, that this week the art was kind of on another level. This is the start of a new story arc called Family Matters One, which I loved for multiple reasons. One, I love that Family Matters is one of my favorite like pun titles ever, like not only across media or TV shows like that, but like in general, I think Family Matters is number two is my number two favorite pun title slash coined phrase. And my number one is and look, this is this is uh, I'm not getting I'm not getting paid by a big mattress here, but my favorite one is Trust Sleepies. For the rest of your life. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. It is. It is real good. Uh, <laughs> but can you do a Steve Urkel? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, didn't he like cheese? Wasn't that part of his thing? He did. He yeah, did okay. like cheese. I, I didn't want to just go straight to the, did I do that? But uh, I remember the, the other aspects of what a What a fun guy. I'm personally a, an even bigger fan of Stefan Urkel, though. Well, Come on. I mean, Ooh, man, he was a coolest guy. <laughs> Can you imagine if we just did like 45 minutes talking about how cool Stefan Urkel is? <laughs> totally relevant. Um, uh, anyway, this is really interesting because something that Nick has been diving into in really interesting ways is the personal aspect of, of, of Peter Parker. And of course, that's like so innate to Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man stories. But I mean, he's digging in in, a, in an interesting new way that kind of focuses on relationships specifically. And his relationships with MJ, his relationship with Aunt May. So to see kind of the way that Aunt May handles herself when she's alone, the way that she has a rapport with Peter, the way that she has a rapport with Spider-Man uh, is really so much fun to be examined. There's one specific panel in here that is like the most Chris Bashalo panel ever for me. It's like one just on the side and it's when Spider-Man realizes that May Parker is at this place that is kind of under attack by a few villains, including Taskmaster. And if you look at it in isolation, if you just show that to someone on the street, they'd be like, who did this? Like what, like what is the face of Spider-Man's like, what is the shape of his face? Like what's going on here? But when you put it in context and when you know that it's Chris Pichal and you know that like the tone and the style that he does things, it is so cool. I love it so much because it like none of it makes sense. It shouldn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense for that exact reason. Uh, and, and then there's a couple of pages in here where he's just like, I don't need panel borders. I don't yeah. need your traditional comic book structure. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. He is like on a different level. He works on a different level. Chris Pichalo is just functional in ways that we will never be. We could totally, totally agree. I, I think this is like a book that you could hand to someone and be like, this is, this is how different and 
exciting and dynamic comics can be because it is exactly like you said it is unbound by anything we also dig into a little bit of uh, rhino action here which is really cool especially you know knowing what rhino's up to in miles morales spider-man and digging into his backstory and his life at the moment over there and then seeing how that kind of ties in in interesting ways over here uh, really enjoy the start of this new arc i think it's really fun stuff yeah, and there's a little reference to Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So like this little bit of Spider-Verse of just our books connecting to each other yeah. feels so good, so right. Also so good, so right this week is Black Panther versus Deadpool number four. And is written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, colors by Felipe Sobrero, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I, you know, I often say that this is my favorite issue of the series, <laughs> but it's like one of those things where a book just gets better and better and better, and it's so much fun. This one is a hoot. So I really want to see or just keep reading Kibblesmith writing dumb Deadpool jokes yeah. all the time. He's just doing like dad level Deadpool jokes at the beginning of this. Like, what Avenger bit his tongue? It was Thor. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I love it. It's so bad. There's an awful Daredevil one, but it's really a hoot, especially when you find out that it's Deadpool's disembodied head telling these jokes. <laughs> uh, it's just Ricardo Lopez drawing it. It's so weird and creepy and cool. There's just like uh, bonkers kind of super legit and on point fourth wall breaking joke that knocked me for a loop, but also knocked Deadpool for a loop within the comic. Mm-hmm. It was just so much fun. I know telling you guys about what's funny <laughs> isn't like the best way to do it, but I don't want to spoil the thing. I like, yeah. but I hope you understand that it's really good. Yeah. Uh, and the, the hits keep coming in this one. It's one of the fastest, funniest, wildest books that we have. And in large part is because the art is so fast, so quick, like a wily Coyote cartoon. Right. You know, it's just bonkers. You can hear the music. You just like every frame is just like bing, 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 bing. Uh, manic and wild, super fun. I'll just say Deadpool gets his hands on tech and weapons that put him kind of on T'Challa's level. And it ends up being dope. It's really cool. Can't wait to see how they sort of pull together everything for the finale. Totally. My next book is Captain America number seven. It's uh, by ta Coates and oh man. Right? Look who's here now. Look at this. Are you kidding this me? Week. Adam Kubert uh, showing up for the art duties here of this book. Incredible. Colors by Frank Martin and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Another poster worthy cover by Mr. Alex Ross, incredible. This is a fascinating story. It's another start to a new arc. It's called Captain of Nothing. Tanasi's taken Cap in some interesting directions in the first arc or so of, of this series. And so much of that is tied into where Cap has been in recent years and what he means to America right now. Uh, so to see this new direction now that we're starting a new arc... There's not really a ton. I actually don't know if there's any like cap throwdowns here. There is some action uh, with Bucky at the bar with no name, which is really fun. I thought, you know, I mean, like, of course, it's masterfully, like, beautifully. Adam Cooper's choreography for a fight scene is just yeah. nuts. So, like, there's this one shot where he, like, flips a dude, and then the next panel, he knocks the other guy into the other guy. It's just like, oh, it's yeah. so good. This artist is, like, he's, like, forgotten stuff that, like, other great we'll artists, yeah. Yeah, like, have never and known. And it's so nice. Na- yeah. Like, this is just, exactly. this is who he is. It's second nature. I mean, speaking of movies, there is a Steven Soderbergh did an edit of Raiders of the Lost Ark where he made it black and white. What? Took away all the sound and put, and kind of tailored the music of the social network 
Trent Rezer and Atticus Ross's score to Raiders in black and white, kind of, pl- and it plays as a silent film. I'll send it to you after. It's Please, mind-blowingly good. But I bring that up because when it's put in black and white, when you take away all the sound and you just play it like it's a silent film, you really, more than anything, get a feel for how Steven Spielberg is just like. By the time he probably made his first movie, was more of a like natural freak talent for just knowing where to put the camera in an action scene. And no matter how many quick cuts come at you, you always know where you are. You always know just instinctively where the action is, where you're pointed, what direction you're going in. You just know the geography of the scene. And I think this scene with Bucky specifically is like just an amazing example of that. Like there's a scene where the bad guy, this kind of thug is swinging at Bucky. He ducks it and you see like the motion blur kind of thing of his fist swing past Bucky's head. And then right from there, you see another motion blur of Bucky's fist as it comes down in a lower panel, smashing into this guy's leg. It is just like so natural. It's it's moving your eye in, in, a, in such a, like a perfect way a way that if you are just reading and you're just going through your feeling you're living the story like you you don't really think about but when you stop and analyze it it's really amazing to be seen we get a little bit of cap's personal struggles it's about his struggles with his place in the country with his place really specifically holding the shield and what that signifies and what that means and i think this is a perfect place to jump on board with this series because um there are some new characters being introduced in a really fun way and and, in a way that i'm super excited the last page was like yes what is gonna happen yeah totally so uh yeah great great issue there yeah uh speaking of great issues our next book is daughters of the dragon number three and again we've been talking about the artists well here you go we bring your boy travel foreman in (laughs) oh man i love travel foreman so much and i love it especially when he is teamed up with writer jed mckay they are a dynamic duo just on a special level especially in this book daughters of the dragon travel is doing the pencils joined by joe silver for inks, Andres Mosa on colors, and you get Ferran Delgado on letters. Another cool cover by Andrew Robinson, but this is such a blockbuster team. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope we get to see them do more. But Jed has crafted this story that's sort of this messed up psychological thriller wrapped up in a revenge story that's connected to the previous issues in this series, but it's so immediately engaging and disturbing. And then travel takes all of, like, the ideas and the concepts and sort of this really cool setup and just breathes all this life into it. And as the first part of this twist, your stomach starts to drop when you start to see the horror that Colleen and Misty are wrapped in. And then Travel, he starts to change the panel borders and the sizes and the orientation. It's real subtle at first and it discombobulates you as a reader. And it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of feel like the floor is dropping out on you and it's such masterful storytelling uh, for the two of these together. Uh, and then there's the final battles, the revelations, the escapes, the surprise cameos, the really funny bits wrapped up in all this, the wild moments, the incredible action, and most importantly, the stronger-than-vibranium bond between Misty and Colleen that yeah. is like, honed even deeper by the end of this. This is such a really great series. If you don't read digitally, you may have missed out. It will be in print pretty soon. This whole daughters of the dragon series i highly 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 recommend it totally it's it's really interesting that you know as you're kind of just listing the incredible creative team there like it just kind of hit me in a way that to describe that it was just like 
for some reason, Jen McKay and Travel Foreman feel spiritually like they belong together. Like, yeah. they, you know, they kind of tell stories in a similar way. And I definitely feel the same way about the creative team of Dead Man Logan. This is Dead Man Logan number three this week. And that creative team is Ed Brisson, artist Mike Henderson, and color artist Nolan Woodard, and letterer VCs Corey Pettit. And it's a really interesting one. And for that reason, it is my first pick of the week. It's kind of a complex story in a w- weird way. It's complex and incredibly simple at the same time. Incredibly simple in that this is old man Logan marching towards his death. We know this is going to end with him saying goodbye or maybe, you know, the Marvel Universe saying goodbye to him. But, you know, he's on this journey. He's going all out to the end. That's a simple explanation. The more complex explanation, what's really interesting to dig into and to see Ed dig into is that he's kind of fighting a war that hasn't quite happened in a way because he's fighting based on the memories of like how he came to be, how he came to this reality and the way that Mysterio kind of destroyed his life, killed everyone that he loves and, you know, just ended everything for him. So he is now in this reality fighting that war or, you know, maybe fighting it before it can happen again. Who knows? Uh, But that comes to a very literal head here because not only is Old Man Logan coming up against the likes of Mysterio and a few other great villains, but also the Avengers are getting involved because they see how unchained he is. They see that he is just at his wit's end, that he is going all out and that he does not care anymore who he has to come up against. And that includes them. That includes Earth's Mightiest Heroes. There is some just awesome Mike Henderson and Nolan Woodard pages here. I'm thinking I'm, as I was reading this, you know, this one panel of old man Logan kind of pushing his claws and like getting there's this kind of like electric energy that's coming out of the Iron Man suit as they're kind of clashing in the middle of this other fight. And you see this this one panel here with this great pink background and the kind of the energy kind of splashing over him with mixed with the blood and he's kind of got one eye is kind of swollen shut and the other one is open he's got this smile on really cool there's great action throughout it's kind of non-stop there's a really funny moment that happens in here where tony stark kind of calls i think it's tony he calls to robbie reyes to like come and like drive over and kind of crash into old man Logan in a way. So like this happens and then now Logan is on like the hood of the car and it's really awesome. And I knew it. I just said, he's going to talk about how cool this ride is because that's what Logan would do. And the next page, certainly, uh, you know what he does. He says, this is a sweet ride, jack-o'-lantern, which is so funny. But I love that. And I think, you know, it just speaks to the power of the storytelling going on here. Really great stuff. This is one of those things where it's just like, I'm missing it as I'm reading it in a way because like, I just don't, I I know it's going to end. And for that reason, I'm so grateful that we have nine more issues. But, uh, you know, it's just great stuff. Heck yeah. All right. Big one coming up next, and this was nearly one of my picks of the week. It is Doctor Strange number 10 or Doctor Strange number 400. Legacy numbering up in here. And this one is written by Mark Wade. And then again, this is a big week for great artists. Mm -hmm. We've got Jesus Saiz. Incredible. Kevin Nolan and Jim Campbell together. Incredible. Butch Geis and Carlos Lopez, incredible. Tom Palmer, who you don't see a, enough of, incredible in this beautiful double-page painted spread. And Daniel Acuna. Come on. Just incredible. It is 
so good. It's this is jam packed with stories too. It's it's a mega sized issue. The main story is this wild one, really expanding on the concept that all magic has a cost. That's something at at least for me really started to make sense with Jason Aaron's run on the title. And I I love how Donnie Cates and now Mark Wade have really been making that hit Stephen and and really hit home for Doctor Strange. We get to see a really terrifying antagonist, the head accountant. It is almost tax time here. (laughs) I got my package for my accountant and I was like, uh, (laughs) the the idea that there is an accountant and this accountant is the one who balances the books of magic. It is a wonderful idea. It sounds so like, what? But it works (laughs) so well. We get a glimpse into the workings of this accounting process. It sounds so silly, but Jesus Saiz also can make anything look incredible. And he does. He he like creates these creatures who are working in the accounting department, these mythic gods in this issue, these powers, these weapons, these emotions, all this magic in his hands is just gorgeous stuff. The other stories give us a current Stephen Strange story as well as a throwback story. But like I mentioned, this is like a Hall of Fame book. Mark Wade will go into the comics hall, like the theoretical comics hall of fame. Yes, yeah. he will be there one day. Jesus Saiz, potentially. The caliber of work, if he keeps it up, that is sure. without question. Butch guys, I think so. Daniel Cunha, same thing. If he has the volume, the quality is without question. Sure. The volume, yes. Kevin Nolan, Yes, without question. The stuff that he's done over the past three decades, beautiful, beautiful. These are titans doing incredible work. I've never liked Doctor Strange more than I have hmm. in the past three years. Yeah, The caliber of stories we have right now is, is wild. Totally. Up next is my second pick of the week, and it is Exiles number 12. You know I've been talking about this. Every time an issue comes out, I am very vocal about this. And man, woo-wee! This is uh, the storytellers of this issue, Saladin Ahmed and Javier Rodriguez. Again, the artists mm-hmm. this week are, without question, some of the greatest in comics. Javier is joined by Alvaro Lopez, his longtime partner on inks. Munza Vicente on colors with VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. Gorgeous cover, as we've had throughout the series by David Nakayama. I have to shout him out. And this book opens with The Unseen a.k.a. Nick Fury, who, through the events of Original Sin, is now sort of kind of like a watcher. And the Unseen is imprisoned in this gorgeous Jack Kirby-style contraption. And the Exiles are coming to him to fight back against these messed-up rogue watchers to sort of work for him, for reality. And Blink's first line is, All right, you big-headed bastards. (laughs) I love Saladin's Blink. She's so good. She is a great leader. She's tremendous and what an incredible ride this is we have huge huge moments wild devastating lows just these mega highs incredible emotional beats and again some of the greatest art you will see in comics period there's a sequence in here in which each member of the exiles team is imprisoned by the rogue watchers they're sentenced by them into these damaged realities that are most punishing for each of them so in Becky Barnes, who is the sidekick to Peggy Carter, Captain America. In Becky's reality, she is in a marriage to a man, and it is a terrifying, Mm -hmm. upsetting, loveless, 
She's not interested in men. She is in this marriage. She's a homemaker. She's everything. It is a nightmare for her, uh, for, you know, King, a.k.a. Black Panther. He is watching his sister die. It's all these different realities so crushing to the exiles. It takes an incredible sacrifice of one of their own to break them free. And it is such an earned moment, an earned sequence through this. You know, I'm going to say it is not undone by the end of the issue, Mm -hmm. which is so important. It feels so tangible, and and the weight of it is even bigger by the end of the story. Ugh. This has been one of my favorite series this last year. I'm very sad that it's done. This yeah. is the final issue. If you didn't catch up with this, the full run, the 12 issues, you can read them right now. Just masterful. Yeah. It is a, a crazy good creative team, as you said. But I'm just thinking specifically about Saladin. Like, one, nicest guy ever. Yeah. Two, like... It like makes me laugh. Like this, mm. he's batting a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Like he's never made anything that's not incredible. Yeah. So it's so cool to know now that he'll be uh, moving on. Now that Exile is done, he's going full force uh, into Miles Morales and now Ms. Marvel, which is so exciting. I love that book because not only is it inspired so much by Kirby visuals. But you can really feel a Kirby-esque imagination behind it all. And that's what's so much fun. I think that's a perfect note to jump into our next book, which is Journey into Unknown Worlds, number one. This is a Marvel 80th anniversary special look at a classic series. I love in the trade dress here, we get a little look at kind of the old logo of what that used to be. Uh, This issue has two stories here. We have Bones of the Earth, which is written by Colin Bunn with artist Guillermo Sana. And then we have Chrysalis, which is written by Clay McLeod Chapman and art by Francesco Mana with colors by Lee Lowridge, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. What's, what's, what's the, there's a video game. Okay. And I forget the name of it, but people loved it a ton. And the sequel is coming out soon. It's post-apocalyptic. It follows a young uh, Last of Us. The Last of Us. Okay, there are some like creature like weirds. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're called. I never played that game. I've only like watched friends play it. Emotionally devastating. Yes. Terrifying. Okay. Um, intense. <laughs> yes. But I actually think about that a lot because I thought the like creature and the horror aspect that w- of that was so fun and like so inventive. And I I got I was kind of reminded of it of that in this because. There's some amazing, like, horrific body so horror. Gross. Yeah, it's so gross. Like, body horror stuff of, like, mixture of kind of this kind of different organic elements that is, like, monstrous, but also in a way that's, like, weirdly plant-like, but also zombie-like, uh, in a way that is, like, just these people in these kind of, like, hazmat suits kind of thing. It is so in Back to the Future when Marty goes back and meets his father, who's, like, reading these kind of pulp horror sci-fi comics and things like that that is this like this could be in george mcfly's hands with that like down to these kind of people like reacting to these horrific sci-fi things in these hazmat suits and things like that darth vader exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, i'm your density uh uh anyway uh so we have that, and then we have this other uh, Boy Scout story, which is so much fun. We're telling stories around a fire, and then things go wrong in a really fantastic sci-fi way, in a way that captures so much of what's so great about like these kind of old-school stories, something that feels so familiar, and yet the writers and the artists of this book present it in a fresh way, in a way that 
reminds me of, of so much modern storytelling, but also is so clearly based on an incredibly rich history of, of Marvel Comics and, and things like that. And I'm so excited to continue doing this throughout the year. Yeah, there's a good history of the sci-fi stuff and uh, some fun covers in the back of that issue. Mm-hmm. But we got to get to Man Without Fear, number five, written by Jed McKay. He's back again. Art by Danilo S. Bayruth. Colors by Andres Mosa. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And gorgeous covers as we've had this entire run by Kyle Hotz and Dan Brown. Wow, wow, wow. But the driving mantra of this issue is, what is pain for? Mm. And like the, Matt has that in his head, thinking to himself, what is pain for? And thinking about his history with his father, thinking about who he has been as Daredevil, who he is as Matt Murdock, and how he needs to utilize the pain that he's gone through, that he's going through, that he will go through. So cool. A lot of this issue is him training or thinking, training and thinking, training and thinking, working mm. his body battling his mind, his fears, his thoughts. I don't know if we've discussed these last five weeks of of this, but Matt's fear being depicted as this skeletal creature wearing this messed up version of his yellow and red original Daredevil costume is so wicked, so gnarly, and how that plays into this at the end, it's it's great. And this ends in a way that kicks us right into the upcoming Daredevil series that we're going to get starting next week. Oh, yeah. I mentioned what I mentioned about Zach and Lonnie earlier in the show about like it's been so cool to see them kind of arrive on the scene and take advantage of their moment in, you know, recent months. We talk about it, Daughters of the Dragon and Man Without Fear and a few other things. Jed McKay, that feels like we're doing that now with Jed McKay. He has his moment and he's just taking it with both hands. And I think there are some really big things to come for Jed uh, moving forward. And I'm really excited about that. But I'm also really excited about Marvel Knights number six. This is the end of the great limited series showrunner Donnie Cates, writers Vita Ayala, Tinny Howard, Matthew Rosenberg have come together to tell a really great story. This issue is written by Donnie with pencils by Kim Jacinto. And there is, again, Travel Foreman with inks by Kim Jacinto and Richard Friend, colors by Matt Mila and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. We had a really interesting psychological kind of, in a way, mystery that kind of started to unravel and build itself up, starting in issue one, about kind of these heroes and the world that these heroes live in, forgetting who they are, forgetting the heroes. Uh, And we've seen how Bruce Banner, the Hulk, is kind of the key to unlocking what that all is, what that means, why that's happening, everything like that. And I love the mixture, and I think this is signature Marvel Knights for me, and this mixture of, if you look back at the original four series, it's the mixture of Black Panther or Daredevil, which is so, like... You're in Hell's Kitchen. You're in New York City. Like, it is so gritty. It it kind of defined that in a modern way. But it also has the Inhumans, and you have the Punisher, which is like this weird, mystical side of things. So it's a a great marriage of that, and I think this series has really done an an amazing job at taking that tonally and, and taking the spirit of what that means and imbuing that into every single issue, and I really feel that here. There is a really great... Jay Lee variant cover to this issue Mm, um, that kind of alludes to a bit of what's going on in there. But yeah, great final issue to this limited series. It's been a real joy to read. Really, really fun. And I think uh, Donnie and Vita, Tini, Matt, the entire creative team, all the artists, they've just knocked out of the park. Great stuff. Yeah. All right. Up next is Ms. Marvel, number 37, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Nico Leone, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And this is 
the funnest, sweetest, most down-to-earth yet ridiculous superhero story, <laughs> and I love it. You got Kamala, she's babysitting, and then a minor disaster happens in Jersey City, so she has to Ms. Marvel it up. It seems very simple, but of course, there's so much more going on. You know, you get Willow and Nico and their knack for making the super wacky and, and silly stuff happen and feel natural in a story that has real emotional stakes. It's just incredible. Uh, babies getting thrown up in the air and veterans, you know, zipping around flooded streets and animals <laughs> on the loose and Kamala's friends being really wacky and, and so much more. As with all of Nico's Ms. Marvel issues, you got to take a look close at, to find all the jokes and the gags. Uh, we're almost at the end of Willow's run and it has been magical. Totally. Next up is The Punisher, number seven. It's written by Matt Rosenberg with art by Simone Kadransky, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Last issue, we saw Frank, who is in jail in Begalia. He spent, like, I think, if I'm interpreting the markings that he scratched into the wall correctly, he was in there. He was, like, in isolation for, like, three months. Grew a really cool beard, scratched the Punisher skull into his chest, which is so awesome. This is a tale about. We're going to trap Frank Castle and we're going to trap him with Hydra and bad guys all around him. There's no way out. He has no weapons, no mech suit, no nothing. And uh, it's just him and his just anger, really. It's a really inventive, cool uh, take on a Punisher story that totally captures everything perfectly about Frank, but also puts him in situations where... Like we've spoken about Matt Rosenberg so many times, he just has to come up with inventive, like really awesome, like fight scenes and things oh, like that. Stuff there's some There's some great issue. stuff. Uh, yeah, great issue. Uh, I'm moving on now to Solo, a Star Wars story number four. It's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Will Sliney, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We take the story here in this issue from some great action going on in the Falcon, really great character stuff. Um, a little bit of smooching action in Lando's closet there and some great L3 stuff. And then we go to Kessel where we have the kind of spice mine revolt, which is, you know, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Really, really fun to see it all rendered here. That great action stuff going on there. Some great Wookiee stuff. Uh, and we take it through uh, the Kessel run. That's yeah. what's coming up next. I bet. Lando's closet smells incredible. Oh, come on. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Oh. Of course it does. Mm, I want to <laughs> breathe that in. Uh, we're going to breathe in Spider-Man Deadpool number 45 up next. Written again by Robbie Thompson. Art by Jim Toe with Sean Parsons and uh, Jim Toe on the inks. Colors by Brian Reber and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is the wrap of the Blastar and Negative Zone story. Uh, you get... Deadpool has a bunch of holes blown through him. There's jokes aplenty. Spidey gets sliced up. There's tons of big hero moments for Spider-Man, mostly, <laughs> and, and yeah. some of these supporting characters. But most importantly, Ransack and Carcass hug, and it is the sweetest, <laughs> most wonderful moment in comics this week. This book has one of the biggest hearts in all of comics. I love it. Awesome. Next up is Star Wars Dr. Afra, number 28. It's written by Simon Spurrier with art by Emilio Laiso, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, I love Cornelius Evazan, the good doctor. I love that he's positioned in this story as this kind of manipulative, maniacal, setting up machinations bad guy. It's kind of perfect. It's perfect to his character, and it's great to see Afra. As challenged as she is by all the circumstances, and it's some tough stuff, have to work her way out of it all. It's just speaking about Punisher just there, it feels similarly like this character is trapped 
in a way, and they're trying to get out for some reasons that are very literal, but in other ways that are kind of perennial to Dr. Aphra and her kind of constant running that she's on. But yeah, really fun story and a great cover by Ashley Witter, which captures that great Evazan messed up, terrible face in just the best way. Yeah, I read it on the subway this morning and I could see out of the corner of my eye a woman sitting sort of diagonally from me constantly just looking at the cover. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a great cover. Yeah. It's good. Uh, up next is Unstoppable Wasp number four. And this is a big one. Written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Guruhiru, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, gorgeous cover by Guruhiru. But Jeremy... Whitley, writer, had, had told me about this story arc. Uh, he emailed me, and it's it's a big one. The events of last issue had Nadia and the girls getting attacked. Nadia then, by the end of that and into this issue, goes into a manic episode. And Janet Van Dyne posits that Nadia likely inherited bipolar disorder from Hank Pym, who had it as well, and that Nadia is probably going through a big manic episode. So Jeremy told me that he worked with two psychologists, two caretakers, two folks with bipolar disorder to make sure that he and the team got everything right, dealt with all of the ins and the outs of this very fairly. And they do not take any of this lightly. Mm -hmm. They really work on giving this a full scope, how this not only affects Nadia, but affects her loved ones, her family, her friends, and it is it's intense. It's this is uh Gudihiru's art works incredibly well to drive all this home and how this manic episode plays out, what its side effects are. She's not sleeping, she's not eating, she's she's sort of getting focused on one thing and then quickly going to something else, trying to solve a whole bunch of different problems at the same time. The side effects are really growing. Look at Nadia's eyes and face throughout this issue. There's so much work done here on this. Um, and it's it's really well done. We'll talk more about this when the next issue hits as well. Nice. Next up is Weapon H number 12. This is written by Greg Pak with art by Guiu Villanova, colors by Maury Hollowell with Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I love Weird World. I love the tone that it brings to books. It's popped up a couple different times in recent months uh, in a couple different series. But to see Clay, the Weapon H here, dealing with Morgan Le Fay, the queen of World World, uh, and everything that World World brings is so much fun. I think it brings a very specific kind of fantasy element to things. And obviously that has to do with the queen. That has to do with Morgan and her powers and things like that. But beyond that, it's just the way that it feels so different to any other place. There is a... A minotaur in here, which is always great, but there's also some really interesting seeds of stuff being sown here as we go into Hulk Vereen's number one, which was kind of the genesis of this character. I remember hearing Axel Alonso talking about this at New York Comic Con. I don't even remember what, when it was. It might it's have been, been like two years yeah, ago. Yeah. And kind of taking those great elements of those two characters. And so to see that realized in this new way coming up and with Hulk Vereen's number one is really cool. But Weapon H has been really fascinating, kind of experimental in a way story. And I think, you know, there's nobody better to do it than Greg Pak. He knows things so well. He knows these characters so well. And it's really cool to see him flex his muscles and kind of stretch the limits, try out new waters and, and new, new areas, new tones and things like that with this character and with this series, and I think it's been a great success. Indeed. All right, last book for me this week is West Coast Avengers number 7, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Danielle Di Nicuello, 
Colors by Triona Farrell and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, this one is the best. I love this series so much. We get to see the team come together to beat the baddies. Then you've got also Novar, a.k.a. Marvel Boy, a.k.a. Kate's (laughs) ex-boyfriend. He shows up. Uh, If you need some Marvel Boy reading, go check out the original Marvel Boy story by Grant Morrison and J.G. Jones. It is on Marvel Unlimited. It is wonderful. Really, really good. He also showed up in a bunch of Avengers stuff over the years. But the Novar of it all adds a bunch of fun bits like his confessional to the camera, his awkward moments with Kate. This also has... Modoc and the eel. Modoc, obviously the best ever. <laughs> Unquestionably, we all know this. But eel has one of my favorite costumes of all time. He is not a huge villain, but he's just got this really neat look. Check him out in this issue. He's cool. Most importantly, though, the team gets a new pet. And it is hilarious and adorable. And I will not spoil it because you've all got to read this. I know you will. The pet in here is tremendous. This is kind of my platonic ideal of an action comedy comic. It is so funny, has so much heart, gets great punchy, punchy bits. It is it's kind of perfect for me. Totally agree. My second pick of the week is our last book this week. It's X-Force number two. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is another one of those issues we're talking about the art this week. Man, oh man. Yeah. Dylan Burnett, Wow, just kind of made a huge splash with starting with Cosmic Ghost Rider, and he's going strength to strength here. I mean, it's like his this is like his eighth comic for us, right? Something like that. I mean, it is incredible. And I think of him actually in a similar vein to David Baldion in terms of their style, in terms of their line work. Um, eyes, yes, the way like the emotion and the, just the way they draw eyes, totally really good. Uh, which is so great. And I'm obviously a huge fan of David Baldion's work. So, uh, you know, this is great, but definitely different and, and totally its own. Jesus Abertov, his colors are just equally as important to everything that Dylan is doing. It just works beautifully. We're kind of on like a, there's like a chase kind of happening here. We're in Transia. There's kind of some nasty business happening with mutants. There's some great mustachioed villains in here, which I love. That's something that like I, I kind of, uses like a North Star, which I don't need in this because you know who the bad guys are. But sometimes if it's like, who's a bad guy here? Look for who's got the mustache. Hey. I not hey. no. Okay. Hey. N- not IRL, but uh I C B certainly uh in comic books. But yeah, I think there's there's some great colors. There's some great action here. Another one of those books that just was eye poppingly good this week. Really love the art and yeah, what a joy. And now, so much fun this week. And of course, it features YSC, Young Sexy Cable. Yeah, it does. I love them. <laughs> Tucker, what collections do we have this week? This week, we have Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, Marvel Knights Punisher by Golden Snogowski, and Wrightson Purgatory, Marvel Universe Time and Again, New X-Men Childhoods, and The Complete Collection. Uh, the Marvel Universe Time and Again, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that's a collection of the annuals that came out last year. So just kind of putting a bunch of different books together. I know that's a very vague title, but right. uh, I, I believe that's what that is. Yeah. We have New X-Men Childhoods and The Complete Collection, Star Wars, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, Volume 4, Fortress Vader, Weapon X, Volume 5, Weapon X-Force, and X-Men Unstoppable. Yep, and there's tons of books that have been added to the Marvel app 
this week and uh, the Marvel uh, Marvel Unlimited on the Marvel app. Um, there's a cool sampler for Captain Marvel, and it is free. So if you even if you don't want to pay for it, you can get a little bit of a sampling of Captain Marvel stuff. There's also a print version of that that is available this week. A couple other books. There are two True Believers books out this week. Conan Resurrection number one and. What if Conan the Barbarian walked the earth today? And by today, I mean 1979, I Oh, think? yeah. Or like 1982, something like that. <laughs> it's great. You got to check it out. And, of course, Uncanny X-Men 3D number one, which Tucker and I were playing with earlier yeah. before we started recording. It comes with a pair of 3D glasses. It is polybagged, and it is a reprint of the classic Uncanny X-Men issue number 268 by uh, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee featuring Cap, Black Widow, Wolverine. It's it's great. If you've never read the issue, it's a really interesting way to read it. Go back yeah. and read the regular one if you have some trouble with the 3D, but it's really neat altogether. Anyway, on to Marvel Unlimited. I was looking at the list earlier. There's some great stuff in here. Daredevil Ninja has been added. That is a very early Brian Michael Bendis Daredevil story from mm. yeah, 2000. Got a bunch of Excalibur issues in here from the early 90s. X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis, the first part of that is now in Marvel Unlimited. If you have not experienced the glory that is X-Men Grand Design, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Check it out. There's tons more. We'll make sure the full list is on the news story so you guys get a, a sense of what else is available in the app. Also, just get the app. They tell you do what's it. new every week. Yeah. They do a great job. Uh, that's it. That wraps it up for us. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.